0: author and business
1: coach, Tony Richards. Boom shaka laka boom shaka laka time for better than before. Hello everyone, this is Tony Richards along with producer Bill and project manager Whitney. Welcome to another episode. We're so glad you joined us today. I want to talk to you about the Exponential Leadership Retreat though, which is the opportunity for you to come here to our offices at Clear Vision Development Group in Columbia, Missouri and spend three days with me and my excellent staff here. We got some great tools. We'll do a, a behavior assessment, we'll do a motivational assessment. We'll do an acumen assessment. We'll do skills and competencies. We'll do emotional intelligence. We'll do all kinds of great things. Work on your leadership brand and whatever level you feel like you're on, we can multiply that. Three great days, June 27th, June 28th, and June 29th here at the Clear Vision Development Offices right by Swan Lake in Columbia. So we have a wonderful view of the lake and the wafting smells of Las Margaritas from next door. So it's uh, pretty awesome. So go and sign up for the Exponential Leadership Retreat at clearvisiondevelopment.com. Right now you can get it for $725 and that's going to be going up to $775 here real soon. So you don't want to waste any time because I want to spend some time with you and I think you'll find a lot of value for that $725. So you guys got some questions for me on today's podcast. I'm a little nervous about what to expect here.
2: Well, we figured we'd flip the script on you. You always interview a guest, and we figured this time we'd actually interview you. Since this month we're talking about entrepreneurs, you and your wife are both entrepreneurs, and I thought you'd have a lot of good information for our audience.
1: I'll give it a good shot. Yeah. I'll give it all I got, as they say. How did you get your idea or concept for the business? Working as a business leader for... Well, I was in charge of a company in Kentucky in most of the 80s, and I was in charge of a company here in Missouri for a lot of the 90s and a little bit of the 2000s, and I worked with a lot of consultants, and there were a lot of things about them that I liked, and there were things that I thought I didn't like. Just over the years, I, I thought about the best practices that I experienced and if I was in that position, again, I'd want somebody like me because I've had somebody like me and it's, it's pretty cool because if you work for a board or if you work for a private ownership, sometimes you don't want to be totally transparent because you don't want them to lose confidence in you or you don't know how they're going to process maybe a statement you would make or maybe you're feeling helpless or maybe you are feeling like you don't have all the answers and you want them to have confidence in you and you want them to think you have a direction so you need that person to talk to that's not your boss Also, you don't always feel like you can talk to your employees because for the same reasons, you don't want them to think you don't know what you're doing or that you don't want them to lose confidence in you or you don't have a vision or a direction. But having somebody that you can converse with and talk to and be transparent with and be trustworthy and to tell them, hey, I'm struggling with this. What can you do to help me or what words of wisdom do you have for me? Or can we just talk this out? I've just always found great value in that. And being a former athlete, I always liked my coaches. You know, I just think it's valuable. Sure. So that's really the impetus for that part of it. Anne-Marie's part of it comes from her just creativity and wanting to be able to help people craft messages and brands and not be tied down to one specific delivery system like a television or radio but be able to have complete freedom in helping that business owner or that company work on that brand it just comes out of her creativity and for me it really just comes out of confidentiality and trust and being open and and asking for help
2: sure Mm So what was your mission when you first started and has it changed over the years?
1: No, I don't think it's really changed. I'm highly theoretical. In other words, I'm really an information researcher. I mean, I love learning new things and I love being around smart people and I love being around people who are really good at what they do. And I've you know, as as we all do, I have borrowed from the best at times, and I know people borrow from me. So to bring the best business ideas to the world has kind of been a consistent thought process for me. I just want to be that resource for business owners and CEOs and uh, people in upper management to be able to go to clearvisiondevelopment.com or listen to a podcast or hire us for our professional expertise.
0: All right From where you started and now to where you've ended Is this where you thought you would end up?
1: Both of my grandfathers were entrepreneurs. So I had a little bit of an advantage seeing what business ownership life was like. My grandfather on my mom's side owned a service station. And I can't tell you how many Sunday afternoons he was closed because businesses used to close on Sunday back in my day. That'd be the only time he'd have off was Sunday afternoon. He'd be open Sunday morning, but he'd be closed on Sunday afternoon. I can't tell you how many times somebody pull up in front of his house and honk, and he'd go out and he'd open the service station and he'd pump gas for them just because he didn't want to upset a customer. They might go get their gas somewhere else next time. My other grandfather, on my dad's side, same way. He owned a feed store, which is what I grew up working on that side of the family. And we closed on Saturday at noon, and he was closed Saturday afternoon and all day Sunday. Again, he lived right next door to the feed store and people would pull up to his house and honk their horn and he'd open up the feed store and get them whatever they needed. Wow. Strong work ethic, you know, in my family and customer service oriented. Those are valuable tools. And so that gives you a lot of confidence. I'd like to say that, yes, I completely visualized where all this is 15 years ago or however long it's been, but I I couldn't say that for sure. I mean, I figured we were going to be successful, but I wasn't sure exactly how we were going to get from A to B. There was a lot of ambiguity in the middle. Sure. Still is.
2: What were some of those unexpected hurdles that you had to overcome when you first started Clear Vision?
1: Well, I just think every entrepreneur goes through times where you get in a really tight spot, like you have employees and payroll is going to be coming through in two days and there's not enough money in the bank account. You're just hoping and praying. I've gotten on my knees and prayed many a time for checks to come in from clients so we could clear payroll those are really tough on you because you got people and families that are depending on you and uh, you've bet everything you have on this vehicle, this business, and you've put your heart and soul into it. And it's kind of like a little baby when it first tries to walk, you got your arms out, you're trying to help it walk. You know, you are afraid it's going to fall over and hurt itself. And you're just trying to nurture it and work on it and keep investing yourself in it and uh, hope that it works out. So if you could go back
3: in time, would you do anything differently?
1: I would have done it earlier. I probably stayed at my last job about three years too long. I first had the idea of doing consulting, gosh, back in the late 90s. Uh, I had a former employer of mine invite me down to Alabama and uh, wanted me to give him an evaluation on his business and do some consulting work for him. And Marie and I were on our way back from Alabama, and I first had the thought, I think, you know, I think I could do this. I think I I would kind of enjoy doing this. I think I would enjoy traveling around and working with people and sharing my expertise and and helping them and I just got a lot of big feelings out of it. I I got a charge out of it and I probably should have went ahead and pursued it then. It was about 5 6 years after that. I just decided, you know what? I'm going
3: to I'm going to do it. So did you sit on it then for that five or six years and just keep thinking about it or?
1: Yeah. And I went through a bunch of adversity in my last job that I really shouldn't have had to go through. I should have gone ahead and done it earlier, but I kept sticking it out thinking things were going to change and things were going to work out for the better. And, and they just, they just didn't. It was time to leave.
2: Once you started Clear Vision, what was your first sale?
1: First sale. Well, Anne Marie actually made the first sale. That was a a car client that she went and visited. We both made a pact before she went that she was not going to come home until he said yes. She tells the story that she just kept sitting in his office until he finally said yes. That's a good story. What do you attribute to your success? Oh, I think the things that I mentioned earlier, I think our work ethic and customer service, taking good care of our customers, demonstrating a lot of value and results.
2: Did you feel like you had to get into a different mindset to help make yourself successful?
1: Well, I I would say I've been pretty successful uh, in my career, so that sometimes can be a problem for people. Like when I coach people, some of the problem is when you win too much, you don't take losses very well. I don't think I've ever had that problem. I've won a lot, that's for sure, and most everything I've done has been fairly successful. I was involved with a television station in Kentucky some years ago. That particular project didn't work, but my overall career in broadcasting did work really, really well. And then uh, my overall career in broadcasting, I thought, worked really, really well. I've made a whole bunch of money. I met a whole bunch of great people. I was never fired from any job I've ever had. So to me, that's that's pretty good. Yeah. So what are you most proud of? This is probably going to sound hokey, but I'm probably most proud of the achievements that people I've worked with have had. I've probably... I probably have the record. I don't know if anybody keeps track of this stuff, but my employees in the state of Missouri and in the state of Kentucky and in the state of Illinois and in the state of Kansas all won a whole bunch of awards. And I have never won a broadcasting award in my life. But I have had a whole bunch of them won by my people. I was pretty proud of that. And I'm very proud of the accomplishments that you guys come up with here. I mean, that's the nature of coaching. The nature of coaching is that you're getting other people to live out what it is they want to do and you're getting them to a highly successful place. Mm -hmm. So I just get a charge out of that. I, I guess that's how I'd answer that. I'm most proud of the work I do with people and seeing them achieve. Right.
2: What used to be your biggest weakness?
1: Well, whatever it is, it's probably still is. Believe it or not, I probably overthink the feelings of other people too much. I really, really try to consider and think about what my actions and words are going to do to somebody. So sometimes I don't address problems as quickly as I probably should because I'm really, really concerned about what that impact is going to be. I probably overthink it too much. Hmm. Probably I'm thinking about things that they're never thinking about. I often say I I hallucinate in my thoughts quite a bit sometimes where I just think about stuff that nobody else is thinking that. So as a coach, uh, how do you spend most of your time? Well, I don't think you can be successful in this business unless you're willing to invest a lot of time in learning and a lot of time coaching. Mm -hmm. Just like anything else, you got to spend a whole lot of time being informed, And you have to spend a lot of time doing it. You have to put the hours in. You have to put the time in. Like anything else, like a master piano player or a a master athlete, the more time you put in intentionally, the better you get. You just got to do it a lot. Just like you guys' job. You do them a lot. You get good at it. You get better at it. Sure.
2: Yeah. So if you had one piece of advice to someone that's just starting out, what would it be?
1: Well, uh, study entrepreneurs. One piece of advice I got a long time ago from my mentor was if you read the biography of somebody, never miss opportunity to do that because you can learn in a few hours, depending on how big the book is, you can learn a few valuable things that took them their whole life to learn in just a few hours. So I would say if you study the life of entrepreneurs, you're going to find out a lot about being an entrepreneur. And, you know, if you can study the Steve Jobs kind of people and you study the name your favorite person person who's your business inspirational story, if you study their life, you're going to find out a whole lot about what it's like Mm -hmm. today on the podcast with Michael Urban. I'm going to ask him in just a few minutes if he ever thought about giving up when he was doing Harold's Donuts. And everyone, if they're being honest, yeah, there are times where you think about giving up, but some people do, but other people find resiliency and and move on. But I would study the lives of entrepreneurs. I believe that's all we have for you. All right. Awesome. Well, that was pretty painless. Michael Urban's here and he's stepping into the studio right now. And we're going to be talking to him about his awesome success story, Harold's Donuts. And we'll do that next on Better Than Before.
0: Are you working twice as hard, but enjoying fewer rewards? Maybe you're highly accomplished, but you just can't seem to break through and make the next big move. Or you run a business that has begun to grow stagnant. It doesn't have to stay that way. Even the best leaders have felt as if their careers were spiraling out of control. But that's when they had to lead and lead big. Tony Richards' new book, The Big Idea, 52 Ways to Be a Better Leader Now, will help launch you forward in leadership. Learn how to take charge and lead yourself, lead others, and lead your company. Purchase online today at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and our website, clearvisiondevelopment.com.
1: Welcome back to Better Than Before. I'm Tony Richards, and I'm pretty excited today to have Michael Urban here from Harold's Donuts. He's originally from Washington, Missouri, came to Columbia to attend the University of Missouri in 2001, graduated from Mizzou in 05 with a degree in political science and went on to begin his career in politics and government in Washington, D.C. and St. Louis. And after managing the political operation of a statewide campaign and serving at senior levels of other national and local campaigns, Michael came back to Columbia in 08 to join a marketing and technology startup. And I don't want to tell too much about it because I want to ask him a bunch of questions about about how he ended up in the donut business. So welcome, Michael. It's great to be here, Tony. Thank you for having me. And I appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule to share some of your story with our listeners. And there's probably a lot of aspiring entrepreneurs out there that'd like to learn some things from you. And also probably some people who've been in business a while that'd like to learn some things from you.
3: Well, hopefully, you know, it uh, take it with a grain of salt yes. right, when they listen to this, but uh, maybe one or two nuggets. I hope that people can Take from the conversation. Well,
1: that. you've tapped into something that's legal and addictive, so that <laughs> that's good combination. That, that
3: is that is a good combination. Yeah,
1: you bet. So you grew up in Washington, Missouri. Tell me a little bit about some of the circumstances of your your youthful yeah. years.
3: Yeah, you know, it uh, a great childhood. I had a lot uh, a lot of things I fondly remember. You know, growing up in Washington, it's a small town in the Missouri River. Quaint town, kind of a bedroom community for St. Louis County workers uh, and those folks who travel into to St. Louis. So close enough to the city, but we were a very, very small town, tightly knit community. A lot of good friends growing up. Uh, we did, you know, certainly the the normal things kids do in the country. You know, go out and try to have as much fun and not get in as much trouble as, you know, we hope to avoid it was a great childhood and i didn't ever anticipate that i'd end up in the position i'm in today of yeah. you know owning a now two donut stores in a company like this but looking back on my path here a lot of it starts to make a little bit uh, a sense actually Isn't it funny how our life yeah. looks like it looks like it's supposed to have happened that yeah, way. It does, F- Forward's a little scary, but backwards looks like it makes sense. <laughs> it you does, know? it does. It all came together. Yeah, went to a, a Union High School, which is a town just south of Washington. My father was a principal in the Union School District at an elementary school. My mother, though, taught at Washington High School, so they're both educators. I was, you know, around the dinner table, the kind of quintessential family dinners every night where we'd get together and talk about our days, and my mom in particular, but my dad as well. I mean, they were active in terms of current events and wanting to know and talk about and debate current issues. And that's kind of what, you know, really got me going down the path of an interest in government and politics. So we had those conversations and that really kind of spurred that. I was wondering about that, how you took that turn into politics. That's right. Yeah. And that started, you know, pretty early, you know, when I was in high school, started to kind of really engage in some of those issues and trying to find out what I agreed with, what I disagreed with, what made sense to me and what didn't. At least at that time, and then look for opportunities to maybe get involved at you know, different campaigns and things of that nature. So, really, in high school is when it started, you know, and volunteering for small local races, just putting up a yard sign here and there. That would be maybe the extent of it, but seemed really interesting to me. So I kind of continued that in college. So what was the most interesting thing that happened to you in politics? (laughs) There's so many. We could do just a podcast about about that. You know, I think one thing that immediately comes to mind, and it's more of a role and a job that I did in politics, which was one of the things that I did in 2004 was drive a candidate around the state of Missouri. And I was what they call the body man for the candidate. And it was an amazing job because you could go to a fundraiser one day and be next to the president of the United States and then get in the car and drive down to the rubber chicken dinner in Poplar Bluff, Missouri, you know. So that was really, really interesting and a heady kind of thing in a rush in a way. got to see every small town and burg and Missouri, all 114 counties, then we would often you know put in a full day's work in Jefferson City then I'd get in the car and do the political stuff and we'd end up in let's say St. Joseph Missouri and then have to come back to Jeff City and then maybe go for the weekend down into you know St. Genevieve or Neosho or wherever we ended up. I would say that was Just the most interesting experience. And one, again, I look back on and think, I learned a lot from just doing that. So many different things that then I apply into what I'm doing as a business owner today. A lot of time to think. A lot of time to think, spending time with people who are really smart. A lot of undivided time to have great conversations, have a little fun. But executing a job like that, your organizational skills start to you know really take hold and you realize, hey, I'm either good at this or I'm not so good at this particular skill. But you do so many different things and you really just have to have a lot of tenacity. Uh, did you already have the marketing bug at that point or did that come after? You know, I think I did, but I didn't know it. One of the things I think that looking back on it that interests me most and still does it, but interested me most in politics at that time was kind of the marketing aspect of here's a message, here's a person and the candidate, how do you communicate in a way to get a person to, in that case, vote for you? But in a business sense, how do you get somebody to purchase a product? That wasn't fully aware to me, though, at that time. I think that uh, I had to discover that. To your point there, I think that seed was planted. Well, I know you spent some time working in an agency. Yeah, I did. So what did you do there? Yeah, I was the research guy. Part of my development in politics came to uh, the point where I was really immersed in and interested in research, public opinion research. So I went after... Being in the trenches of campaigns in 2005, I went to work for a consulting firm in St. Louis, did a lot of public opinion research. So I got into survey work, I got into kind of that consumer behavior, voter behavior modeling work, and that fascinated me. And then I was coming back to Columbia or was brought back to Columbia with a startup agency called Pure Marketing and Media. And uh, in that role, I managed our research division. It was a role that I was in charge of. And so we would work with. A lot of different private and nonprofit clients. And we do everything from focus groups to in depth interviews to traditional phone surveys. We start to sprinkle in some cell phones, even at that time, that was a decade ago or so. And then we started to do some really interesting things on social media called sentiment analysis. And that was fascinating. So I was really into the the research piece, advising our clients, advising everyone else in the agency of what the data was telling us to try to craft campaigns and messaging to yeah. drive results and uh, hopefully get uh, more customers or sales or whatever it might be for the customers we were working with. So you're in
1: politics. Then you take a turn in marketing and research. That's right. So then how did
3: this entrepreneur bug hit you then. So how did you decide you want to go into business for yourself? That's the the million dollar question, right? I think that uh, entrepreneurial bug was always with me and I didn't really necessarily know it. And like most things, it seems, When you start out into, you know, owning your own business, you kind of stumble into it a little bit. And I think that's exactly what happened with this. Me and my wife, we just had our first child, Elise, who's going to be seven. She's six and a half. She'll be seven this year in December. But put her down to bed and, you know, we had nothing better to do. We were young parents. This was like within the first six months of having her. So we didn't quite know how to, how to handle ourselves. We couldn't go out anymore. You know, we, we were tied to the house. So we decided to dig into some cookbooks. I pulled out my grandmother's cookbook, and there was a yeast-raised donut recipe, just that single recipe in there for a donut. It wasn't a bunch of donut recipes. There were lots of other things in there. But I uh, love donuts growing up. Who doesn't? And I thought, that sounds interesting. Let's do it. And so we made donuts one night, had a hell of a time doing it. It was a lot of fun and found myself kind of continuing to come back to that thinking, hey, that was an interesting exercise. I can make these things with my own two hands. I didn't need anybody to come in and do that uh, for me. I mean, I couldn't make them really well at that point, but... I clearly could take it from start to finish. And that interested me. And then being in Columbia, I went to Mizzou in 2001, graduated in 05, back in 08. But even at that time, this was, you know, about eight years ago, seven or eight years ago, there wasn't a donut shop here. And I always found that a little... Odd. And I thought there was some, there's got to be a reason, you know, why I was kind of searching for an answer. You would have to go into a grocery store to get a donut. And I thought in a size, you know, a college town this size, there should be a shop. And luckily, in some other, you know, business pursuits that I was with, I was uh, traveling the country and I would kind of take these detours into shops that I found interesting, started to piece it together, at least in my head, without the intent of actually going into business. But then as I continued to kind of come back to actually making these things, I thought there's a business case here. Let's, uh, you know, we're young enough that, hey, if we get into it and fall flat on our faces and uh, there's still some time to make up for that mistake and we just dove in. So at the
1: time you're bringing some of this to the table now what's Carly's contribution here to Harold's Donuts
3: so much Uh, she is uh, an incredible support system and network just in and of herself there's so many people that have been a part of this to help encourage the process but she has been you know with me shoulder to shoulder to push me into doing things in a in a very thorough and methodical way and one that's always been positive so she's been you know a contributor to that she holds a full-time job herself as a physician here in the community. So she's been incredibly helpful with uh, being able for us to branch out in an entrepreneurial way because she can take care of some of the things that I left behind in terms of a full time steady job with a great paycheck and all of that. We had to kind of decide, well, if I'm going to do this, you know, we have to understand that uh, when you build a a business and you put everything into it, it's going to take a little bit of time to get a return on that. So she's enabled some of that to happen and has been, again, right along with the positive nature of Kind of cheerleading the entire process and the the business along, she's been there to uh, to help get it going in, in so many different ways.
1: Now that original recipe that was your grandmother's, what kind of donut was that? Was that just yeah. a glazed
3: donut? Yeah, or? exactly right. So the um, the recipe itself was for the the base of the yeast dough that turns into a glazed donut or any number of donuts we still serve today. There was also just a, a little bit about making a vanilla glaze on that recipe too, and you could add some chocolate. And cocoa, and do that sort of thing, kind of go down the line. Uh, but yeah, it was your traditional glazed donut. It turned out well even that first time. But again, you know, I knew I need I could only take it so far. But it sparked you know that curiosity to think, okay, let's go down this. Path.
1: So how are some of your other innovations and, and donut flavors and things like Bill mentioned the maple? Yeah, bacon right, But when right. we were sitting here talking, but how did you come up with some of those iterations then?
3: Yeah, you know, so a couple of ways. Especially early on, it was uh, doing a lot of that. Uh, research and experiencing other shops and knowing what other shops were doing around the country, uh, I started to get a sense and a feel for what a shop like us, what we call a craft Donut Shop, making everything from scratch, coming out of that kind of cloth, what would be the expectation that a consumer would have in terms of flavor. So a little bit, uh, you have to have your classics, but kind of push the envelope a little bit into uh, some some trendier flavors. So it got a sense from others of what was going on. And then my first hire was somebody who knew the ins and outs of, of baking and had spent a decade in a production bakery in Charlottesville, Virginia. Her name is Melissa Pelling, and she, to her credit, was uh, an amazing innovator when it came to you know, testing new flavors and thinking of new flavors that we could do. So a lot of it came from her as well. And you know, I would consider myself also a creative. So there's always these ideas popping up. I'm not a guy who's been trained in food, certainly, but still, I don't. I, you know, I don't necessarily think that I, I take my hand off that wheel completely. I always think of new things and throw it in, and and we go through the process. So it comes from a variety of sources. Uh, but uh, I also want to make sure that people who are you know hired to do you know a, a specific Vocation, and, and in this case, you know, on the culinary side, I think of new things. We let them also have the time to breathe and and get those things out. Is that the thing that you feel like you bring to the business? Is creativity?
1: Is that your strong suit?
3: Yeah, I think so. I I, I do, and, and that's the the interesting thing about being a business owner is that it calls for all sorts of different skills. I would say that yeah, I'm stronger on the creative side and the big kind of idea side, the big thoughts, uh, and where you know, you kind of see me be a little less strong is getting into the, the details and the operations of the business. Although it fascinates me, it's always one of those things where sometimes you feel like you're just stuck at 30,000 feet and you got to really be intentional about diving down into process, which is, uh, you know, if not equally important, more important than, you know, these, these big ideas. Uh, that's really where the, the sausage is made and whether you're going to, you know, look at your P&L and your balance sheet and you're, are you positive or negative? I mean, you really have to find Tune those pieces. And I enjoy that work, but it just takes a little bit more for me to get into it. So I think naturally, the creativity is uh, something that I'm stronger in.
1: There's definitely a difference between having a great idea and having a business <laughs> model, right? That's exactly right. Execution is uh, an interesting thing. Yeah. yeah. What's the one thing that you dislike about being a business owner that you've had to learn to embrace? You've
3: had to learn to like it, even though you don't like it. Right. You know, uh, early on, putting together a schedule, once you get some semblance of a staff, especially as we built out our first store in Columbia, you know, knew it certainly going to be an effort that would require more than just me and a couple of other people. So I had to hire, you know, a handful of people. So putting the schedule together, I thought, oh my gosh, this is just an exercise. And a tactic I needed to do and deploy to let people know when they're working and all of that. But through that though, is again, getting into the operational model of what we do. I've grown to look at it as an exercise in, as I deploy our talent and our people, how do I kind of marry that up in our model, which makes sense. And certainly spending capital and that labor is a thing that I'm conscious of, obviously, but also their talents. And where can I best put them to benefit not only their individual self and their role, but also the the business writ large, because they both have to kind of work together in tandem. And that's a challenging thing. It seems, at least it still looks to me and seems to me like a paper, like in somewhat of a mundane and routine exercise, but it's Hard to put those puzzle pieces together. And sometimes I don't marry quite, you know, up quite uh, the way you thought, and you have to make adjustments, and that's difficult. Where do you struggle the most? You know, I struggle in, interestingly enough, I would say I'll kind of preface it with where, again, I think where I excel, maybe a strong suit of mine is communicating our brand to the public in general, of, you know, building our brand, communicating it to, people here in Columbia, here's who we are, here's what we do. I think we've done a decent job of that. But on the flip side, I think where I struggle is communicating that internally to my employees. Yeah, I look at it as a management tactic in a way, and I've struggled to really get kind of that buy-in, if you will, and really communicate to everybody on my team, here's why you're doing what you're doing, and here's how it affects not only the the weekly game plan, if you will, or the day to day, but three months down the road, where we're headed six months, you know, where I'm trying to look and, and build out. So that's been an interesting challenge because, again, I would say on the outside, I excel at communication in general of the marketing of our company, but internally, intramarketing is a is a struggle. Yeah, I was just writing a blog post today about entrepreneurial CEOs and how they have to
1: be a combination of storyteller evangelist and promoter yeah you know you got to kind of be yeah. pt barnum and billy graham and yeah, you're and right. a great storyteller you know and sometimes you get so wrapped up into that you think your employees are just going to get that by osmosis just because they're around right but it doesn't work that way
3: yeah, I found that it doesn't. And again, you know, as an entrepreneur or as a business owner, I don't think it matters really what you're doing. You're always on 24 seven. That has a an effect to really, you know, some days you have good days, some days you have bad days, but you always have to be that champion inside your employees, I think. And they sense when I mean, you got to rally, when you don't feel personally like uh, you can, but you have to do it. You have to pick yourself up and, and show them that everything's going to be okay you have to lead in a way I think that displays that if you didn't almost like a house of cards uh, sometimes that you know they'll follow what you're doing and certainly don't want to walk into your retail business and using my business as an example and, and see that people are uh, in a tough spot and not able to execute their positions because if they don't then you know what do we have we don't have anything so you started
1: out making these donuts in 2010 and yeah. now you have just opened up another new location right. on the south part of town so now you've got two. Yeah. And without giving away much of your strategy or anything, just what are your big areas of focus here going into the second half of 2018? What's in the future for Harold's yeah. for this
3: year? Great question. Uh, you know, the second location has been uh, wonderful to get going here on the south side of town. And I would say first thing that, uh, you know, we're focused on here is that we've been exposed to a bunch of new people that had no idea who Harold's is or was downtown. They've, they haven't been downtown in decades. You know, they live in the southwest part of town or some other part of town. They kind of operate on the periphery of Columbia, so they don't know who we are. So we've got to build awareness and, and let them know who we are and what we do. And that's that's one thing. So there's a, a lot still to, to grow there. The second thing is, you know, really fine-tuning our operations now, especially that we've got two. So I spoke of before where my head is at more than, you know, really any other place currently is getting into kind of that messiness of uh, the operations of calibrating both stores so they can kind of live harmoniously together the product is exactly as it would be downtown at the south side the staff the service level all of that is is in perfect harmony we've got a ways to go so that's kind of the second thing that i'm really focused on i want to calibrate for the rest of the year and then the third piece of it is really trying to grow our wholesale business retail is a great way to do business and we'll always do it. And we've got great locations to support that, but got of set a goal of, of mine uh, in the second half of this year is that if you're in a, a company with at least 10 em- employees, we want to sign you up for you know a reoccurring delivery of at least once a week, treat your employees to a box of donuts. We've got a you know pretty decent list of those folks now, but I want to triple, quadruple that to the point where we've got a, a rock solid wholesale list or a reoccurring delivery list where we get our donuts in, you know, different environments, different places, uh, and make it a bit easier for people to have our products. So those are the three, one, three big ones.
1: This might be a little bit of a, an older reference. I hope it's not too old for the people who listen to our show, but I'm going to give you three instances that are like the greatest mysteries of all time leading up to the next question I've got for Michael. But it took a long time for us to figure out who exactly Leonard Skinner was. It took us a while to figure out who Marshall Tucker was, and it took us a while to figure out who Jethro Tull was, because none of those people were in the
3: band. But who is Harold? <laughs> well, so again, the the question I get more than any, and uh, I just talked about how I think we did a you know do a pretty good job of telling our story outside the walls of Harold's and who we are. But I will say that is a a big hole. Can we yeah say that? Yeah, know, sure. In terms it would of would go with uh, donuts. Yeah, it would go right. Yeah. Uh, that is a a big missing piece, and Harold was my grandfather. So he was. Um, that's who your grandmother made donuts. That's right. For. That's right. That's right exactly on. right. So yeah, he was an entrepreneur himself, uh, or at least a, a small business owner, and uh, he grew up in in between Herman and New Haven, Missouri, not too far from here in East Central. So again, close to Washington, my stopping grounds where, where I grew up, and he uh, his story was one that I identified with. He started out. Um, after he graduated from Central Missouri State University, he went to Sullivan, Missouri to become to be a teacher. And didn't really fall in love with that vocation. And then saw an ad, I think, in the local paper of a Western Auto store coming to New Haven, called the number, and finally took the reins of, of that store and loved it, lived it, breathed it. He loved making his customers happy. It was, you know, Western Auto was a, a great company. Um, they had great success in New Haven. They expanded into a larger location. And he and my grandmother, again, lived that business, um, lived and breathed it, and were in it. My mom, of course, and my aunts uh, were part of it. Just kind of an amazing story to um, to kind of live through as I started this. I didn't don't have many memories of my grandfather. Sadly, he passed away when I was uh, three years old. But my grandmother, we just celebrated her 96th birthday last week. To hear her tell stories about Harold has been incredible. And that story really, coupled with the recipe, made a lot of sense. And I thought of a lot of different names for uh, the donut shop, including our firstborn uh, child, Elise. And we thought about that, but we thought, what if we have a second, which we have, that would be really kind of awkward to have one shop named after one daughter. And then the other one would well, we have to maybe start a bagel joint or something like that, or maybe a pizza place to to placate our second daughter. And thinking about kind of the entire concept, the recipe we were using, the story I identified with with my grandfather Harold sounded great, like the classic American kind of donut shop. That's part of what we're trying to communicate and convey to our customers. So that is who he is. And as I continue to tell that story, we need to do a better job of telling that inside our stores and outside. You've had a lot of success. I mean, you named a 20 under 40 a couple
1: of years ago, and everybody sees people with the Harold donut box and they see people going in and out of your store and all that. And it's often been said, you know, it takes 15 years to be an overnight success. And you're like a little over halfway there. Did you ever think about giving
3: up? Absolutely. Uh, It uh, it, this is hard, really tough stuff. And and despite what uh, you could, as you mentioned, Tony, I mean, every day I see all that kind of those signs of success that people would look at and say, hey, you guys are doing great. And you hear a lot. You hear a lot of praise and all of that. But being an entrepreneur and being a business owner is very difficult work. It can grind you down. You have highs, you have lows, and all of those sorts of things. So, yeah, the short answer is... Uh, absolutely, and and the the first person who says, "Oh no, you're not," is, is my wife Carly, who I mentioned before of kind of being that amazing support. Well, I was going to um, ask you yeah. what pulls
1: you through. Yeah,
3: yeah, yeah. yeah. It is it is people. It is the network. It's uh, first and foremost those that I'm closest to, and, and that that being my family, and then you know also the my staff. Uh, they are incredible people. I think one thing that uh, we've done pretty well is hire really good people. I'm impressed with them every day. And I think about them anytime I think, boy, this is really, really tough. I could be doing other things with my time. I'm a mid, you know, 30 something guy. I'm uh, kind of in the prime years of my employment capability, if you will, and earning an income. And here I am, you know, doing this, you know, I have a choice. Uh, But anytime, yeah, you think of those things, uh, I think of the staff and then also, along with that, I think of the community. You know, I think we have made an impression upon this community, and, and that is one of the things that I derive great goodness from, of uh, people coming to our shop on a, a weekend morning, or any morning, of course, and enjoying our product, and hopefully leaving our store a little bit better than when they you came bet. in. You bet. So what have you learned about teamwork? So much. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, there's so many lessons there. I would say one thing that i think i've learned more than anything else is you know, people respond better uh, to you when when you empathize with them and try to understand their position and if you've done the work that they do they will work a little bit harder for you they'll be a little bit more you know tenacious and detail oriented knowing that you've gone through the same thing and that you understand every process in the business and you're not you know telling them from 30,000 feet here's how i think it should be don't worry about those details that you have to, you know, deal with and all these challenges that uh, come with, you know, making uh, a product. But, you know, what I've learned and what I like to try to do is listen and empathize, you know, with uh, my employees. And that seems to, again, I think create a, a culture and a philosophy of teamwork that produces a great product every day. And I try not to browbeat them. I don't think, I don't believe and you know, I've tried it here and there and it, it goes against my personality and migraine. So it's very uncomfortable and it doesn't work. Uh, so I've, I've learned that, you know, really listening and empathizing with people is uh, going to get you a you know, great benefit.
1: I've got a good friend who owns a restaurant here in town and people are always asking him, you know, when are you going to have another one? And he's like, never, you know, this is the only one I'm ever going to have. And so now you've got two, what's the future of Harold's donuts? Are we going to have more of them are you satisfied with where you are or what are you thinking
3: i would say every restaurant owner to your point there would say in the moment oh my gosh i don't know how it handle another one or you know in my case another one making 3 uh even you know i listened to a podcast dave chang who's a world-renowned restaurateur who just opened a restaurant in in la and his podcast series goes through kind of the travails that he experienced of opening that restaurant it sounded very familiar and i'm thinking dave chang is having these thoughts uh so yeah Yeah, he's just a human (laughs) being he's a human Uh, lo and behold isn't that funny it's almost like giving birth to yeah you know having another child you just live and breathe it you you worry about it you're anxious about more locations and things and things like that but i will say, you know, in the near term vision here for Heralds is to grow more here in Columbia. We've got a lot to, to do here in this community to continue, I think, what is the start of some success here locally, but uh, you know, work on that for the the next little bit. But beyond that, yeah, I would like to have more heralds. I think the large grand vision is to take this from Columbia and insert it in places like Kansas City, like St. Louis, the top forty markets, if you will. And I look at you know two models that I follow very very closely: one being Shake Shack, one being Chipotle, who I think have done an amazing job at not only creating great food but creating kind of a lifestyle brand around their food. They're very close to the communities that they are a part of. They're company-owned models. And have Missouri ties. And they have Missouri ties, exactly right. Those are, are two that I watch closely, and I look at the landscape. There are so many donut shops like us out there, and donut shops in towns across America are a dime a dozen, just like hamburger joints are, just like you know, Taco Bell's or, you know, name your favorite kind of Mexican place. But, you know, Chipotle and Shake Shack have kind of cut through. They've created this different model of being a restaurant. And I think we'll go after that as best we can. That's a you know the big, hairy, audacious goals that you set. That, that would be it. Now, to get from two stores in Columbia to even the third is going to be a monumental task. I don't know where the third one is going to be, if we're even lucky enough to get a third. But the thing that uh, drives me that lights that fire every day is to try to continue to aspire to that big goal and try to be you know, again, fit that place in the market where, you know, we can be kind of the nation's craft donut store. You know, it's going to take a lot to get there, but uh, there hasn't been one yet that has achieved it. It's a difficult thing. I would understand why no one has achieved it, because it is so difficult now going through this. You bet. Well,
1: listen, I'm going to wrap up here by asking you my rapid fire 12 questions in a row. My closing questions for you. Are you ready for these? Let's do it. All right. Best memory that immediately
3: comes to mind? The birth of our two kids and the most recent one being Nora 18 months ago. I think I know the answer to this, but number one hero in your life? Yeah, my wife, Carly. You bet. Top value you subscribe to? Empathy. Most important person in your life? It, uh, for you know, for the sake of not being redundant, I hate to do that. But uh, yeah, my wife, Carly, for sure. Your favorite thing? Donuts. It has to be. Is that their favorite food too? Uh, Cherry pie is my mom's recipe. Just amazing. Most beautiful place you've been to? La 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 Jolla, California. Excuse me. San Diego in that neck of the woods. That is just gorgeous. If you could describe success in one word, what would it be? Teamwork. How do you want to be remembered? As an amazing dad. Advice for a younger you? Try to travel internationally. Never did that when I had the opportunity. That was a mistake. What's your favorite sound? Coffee hitting the coffee cup in the morning. Smell too, probably. Absolutely. Best lesson you've learned. Treat others the way you want to be treated. You know, the golden rule. It, uh, it's one that sounds trite, but you live by it. You're, you're going to get the benefit of treating people well. Well, listen, man,
1: I want to congratulate you on your success. It's, thank you, Tony. It's amazing it. stuff. We certainly look forward to watching Harold's Donuts grow more in the future.
3: Well, thank you for having me on. I appreciate the time. It's been
1: a great conversation. I want to thank our special guest, Michael Urban, for joining us here today on Better Than Before. When we come back, I'll have today's leadership lesson.
0: Receive weekly coaching tips from Tony Richards, delivered straight to your inbox. Whether you're a CEO or an entrepreneur, Tony can help you reach your goals and give you a competitive edge within your industry. Tony's Monday Morning Coaching Memo covers topics ranging from leadership development to teamwork to company culture and more. Text the word leadership to 38470 to sign up for Tony's Monday Morning Coaching Memo or sign up online at clearvisiondevelopment.com.
1: Welcome back and wrapping up today's podcast. Boy, it's been fun. They've turned the tables on me today and I got interviewed and Michael Urban's here from Harold's Donuts, a great interview. I really enjoyed hearing his story. And today's leadership lesson, I want to talk to you about building an abundant mindset. You know, there's two ways that you can look at things. You can look at things from an abundance viewpoint or you can look at things from a scarcity viewpoint. You can look at things like there's plenty of everything out there. We live in an abundant world. Or you can be fearful and think, oh, there's not going to be enough for me. And I'm going to suggest that for your own happiness, you need to practice having more of an abundant mindset, more of a positive mindset. And I've got five things that I think you can do to build that abundant mindset. Number one, you need to start out your day with some morning optimism. I mean, what's the alternative? You're going to get up in a bad mood. You're going to get up gripey and not happy. I mean, you got a choice. So why wouldn't you choose to be happy? Why wouldn't you choose to be optimistic? Because if you're in any kind of business where you're offering value and you're offering uh, your own unique contribution, it's going to go a lot farther if you do it with a positive attitude. Number two, have an organized day ahead of you. You need to know every day, what are the five big things that you want to accomplish every single day? And I'm not talking about a long 20 to-do list. I'm talking about three, four, five really big things that can help you move the needle. Whatever you're trying to do, if it's a project you're working on, if it's a business you're trying to get going, if it's a business you already have going, if it's a position you're in, what are the three to five things that are really going to make a big difference in today's results? Number three, have an acceptance of the unexpected. I mean, you should just get up in the morning knowing that today is not going to go exactly the way you think it ought to go. You're going to have to build in some time and have a tolerance and embrace that things are not going to always go exactly the way you expect them to. There's going to be some unexpected things happen, and It's not always going to be negative. Sometimes an unexpected things going to happen and it's going to be positive. You don't want to schedule your meetings back to back to back to back. You know why? Something might happen. You might have a flat tire or there might be traffic or you might get a call and you have to rush somewhere. You just never know. So you need to build in some time for your day for the unexpected. That way you have time to process it and deal with it and you have some gaps in there to kind of compensate for things that you didn't plan for. So plan to have a few unexpected things happen to you. Number four, you need to have some reflective time. Now for me, this is lunch and in the evening, but you need to have some time to strategize. You need to have some time to think, think, think. When I work with my clients, I always advise them to have some strategy time built into their day. And if I can't get them to do it on a daily basis, I try to get them to do it at least on a weekly basis close your door for an hour, take a lunch and go to the park, get a notepad, just take some time to conceptualize and plan. Plans can sometimes be flawed, but planning is invaluable. So you need to spend some time thinking and reflecting. And then number five, have evening appreciation. So in the evening time, just appreciate the day that you just had. Every day is unique. You're never going to get that day again. They're pretty expensive because once you've spent them, you never get to spend them again. It's a one-time only every single day that you have. So if you can share that with somebody, a loved one, that's even better. But spend some time appreciating your day every evening and then wake up with some morning optimism. And you're going to have half of the day whipped already. Now, just a couple other thoughts. You're only a victim if you allow yourself to be. So don't allow yourself to be powerless. Don't allow yourself to not have options. Don't allow yourself not to have choices. Abundance versus scarcity. It's very significant and you can control how you see things and you can control how you think. If you have an abundance mentality, it's going to color all your perceptions. If you have a scarcity mentality, it's going to color all your perceptions. And your actions are going to follow your perception. So how are you going to choose to see things? How do you enlarge those five things I just talked about? Or how do you augment them? Number one, let's talk about morning optimism. Start with a laugh. You mean listen to comedy in the morning? I don't care what it is. It could be comedy. You could take the time you're getting ready in the morning, put on that movie that always makes you laugh, put on some music that makes you happy. Don't start out with the news, you know, don't start because it's not going to be good. It's going to be bad. So, you know, bad news, if it bleeds, it leads. So set yourself up with something in the morning that's going to give you a great positive effect. And you know what that is. You know better than I do. Number two, on the planning for your day, have some set routines. So insert some routines that are going to help you. Check your email only so many times a day. Check your social media only so many times a day at certain times. Work out a certain time a day where you get the mail at a certain time. Do everything on a little bit of a routine, and that way they just happen automatically. You know, you don't even have to think about it. You don't have to remind yourself. You just get into the habit of doing some of those things and make your day flow better. I talked about this a little earlier on Expect the Unexpected. Don't schedule your meetings too tight and don't schedule any of your obligations. You ever see those people, they come running into your place of business or they come running into a meeting and they're all out of breath and they're huffing and puffing because they didn't give themselves enough time to get from place to place. Don't do that. I always get amazed at doctor's offices because your appointment is at so-and-so time and you never get in at that time. Why? Because they don't schedule good. You know, they schedule things back to back and things always run over. Things always run late. And you can learn from that. So build yourself some flex time in there. Number four, what results did you generate today? Don't evaluate yourself every quarter. Don't evaluate yourself every month. I think you ought to think about every day gee, did I get anything productive done today? And a lot of times that can energize you. You can say, boy, today was a good day. I got X, Y, and Z done. And what's working, what's not working, uh, make the adjustment for the next day. You know what? Today I lost. Here's why I lost. Tomorrow I'm going to win. And here's how I'm going to win. Here's what I'm going to change about it. Remember, insanity is doing the same thing over and over, expecting something different to happen. So don't be insane. Finally, in the evening reflective time, count your blessings, make a gratitude list, think about whatever you need to that generates gratitude as an emotion, as a feeling. Don't wait for Thanksgiving or Christmas. You can do this every single day. Make it personal to you. Make it something that's meaningful to you. I've got 247 things on my gratitude list and I don't get to number 10 without being really, really happy. I mean, it's really an attitude flipper. So when something kind of negative happens or I get frustrated, I can whoop out that gratitude list. And before I get to seven, eight, nine, I'm looking at it in a whole different way. Last few additional thoughts. Who do you hang out with? The most positive people hang out with the most positive people. The most positive people that surround you, the more positive you're going to be. You are going to be the average of the five people you spend the most time with, so you need to be really selective about who you're hanging out with. Is it any wonder if you're hanging out with a bunch of negative people that you yourself are going to be negative? Who are you surrounding yourself with and who are you hanging out with? Number two, what have you set up for a reward for yourself? What are you setting up that can be a fulfillment for your own personal accomplishments? Maybe it's take a walk with your dog. Maybe it's go for a swim. Maybe it's work out. Maybe it's doing a movie in the middle of the afternoon. I don't know. When you do something pretty awesome, it needs to lead to something pretty awesome. And you need to have some rewards set up for yourself so you can get some gratification and give yourself a break. Tell yourself, hey, you did a good job. And finally, drop your baggage. Get rid of anything that's holding you back or undermining your success. We all find things that are insidious in our lives that have snuck in and are under the surface that we need to root out and get rid of. There's no big shame in telling your coach about it. There's no big shame in in telling your therapist about it. There's no big shame in telling your best friend about it. I don't care what it is that you have to do, but get rid of your baggage. Quit lugging the negativity around with you. Get yourself on the abundant side. Get yourself on the positive side. And I think you'll find out that everything gets better when you get better, especially your perspective. Those are my tips on how to build an abundant and how to build a positive mindset. Great show today. I want to thank Michael Urban for being on from Harold's Donuts. I want to thank producer Bill and project manager Whitney for their interview today. We'll be back next week with another episode of Better Than Before. And until I see you next time, remember, everything gets better when you get better.
0: Thank you for listening to Better Than Before with Tony Richards, a business leaders podcast powered by Clear Vision Development Group. For more resources from Tony, visit clearvisiondevelopment.com. Join us next time for another episode of Better Than Before with Tony Richards.
3: This
1: podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts,
2: visit c-suiteradio.com.